This day in sports history. It's February 14th, and on this day in 1988, Eddie the Eagle took flight. Well, kinda. We all love underdog stories, right? The little independent going against big corporate, average Joes against Globo Jim. Now, while these stories typically are about overcoming odds and winning, today's story does not finish with such a triumph. But it is an underdog story, and one we can all appreciate on some level. His name was Michael Edwards. His friends called him Eddie, and on this day, he competed in the normal hill ski jumping event at the 1988 Calgary Olympic Games. He was the first to ever represent Great Britain in ski jumping. As a teenager, Eddie fell in love with skiing and dreamed of being a downhill ski racer, but that did not work out very well for him. Noticing there were not any British ski jumpers, Eddie turned his focus to learning how and competing in the Olympics. He had a few things going against him, though. One, he was completely self-funded. Britain had no infrastructure for Olympic ski jumping, and they had no interest in supporting one. So he had to pay his own way, and he moved to the U.S. to train in Lake Placid, New York. Secondly, ski jumpers were much lighter. By the time he showed up in Calgary to compete, he was at least 20 pounds heavier than any of the other competitors. And his eyesight was not great, forcing him to wear thick glasses. And of course, glasses fog up when you put goggles over them. That's kind of a detriment when you're flying down a ski jump ramp and looking for a place to land once you take off, right? But despite those limitations, Eddie pushed on, training with Chuck Berghorn, John Viscom, and Jay Rand. Eddie's journey to the Calgary Olympics started in earnest two years prior, with Eddie showing up on Berghorn's doorstep telling him he wanted to train for the Olympics. Years later, when he reflected on that moment, Berghorn said that he could not quite believe what he was seeing. The guy was old, never jumped before, was wearing the thickest glasses he'd ever seen, and he was chunky. He didn't have any equipment, so Berghorn gave him a helmet that didn't even have a strap on it, and ski boots that were so big Eddie had to wear five pairs of socks just to make them fit. Berghorn had a hard time taking Eddie seriously, adding that there was not a day that went by where he thought Eddie could actually make it to the Olympics. He didn't have an ounce of skill, and he was mostly untrainable, according to Berghorn, who himself was not really a professional ski-jumping instructor. Berghorn groomed and maintained the hills at Lake Placid, training jumpers as a side hustle. The Viscom was a former Olympic ski jumper, and Rand had been an Olympic skier. They both volunteered their time to help Eddie go from a disastrous agony of defeat moment to a confident jumper. Eddie also qualified for the Olympics through a loophole, which at the time said if you were the only representative from your country in your sport, you could compete whether you were good or not. So now on this day, Eddie became Eddie the Eagle. He skied down the normal hill twice, took flight for two and a quarter seconds each time, landed on two skis for a distance of 55 meters, and finished dead last. His combined score for the two jumps on this day was 69.2. The next closest competitor had more than 140 points. The gold medalist was Finland's Matti Nikkinen, who had a total of 229 points. But everybody remembered the last place finisher that day, 
for the everyman courage to pursue the dream and compete on the highest level. But while Eddie's story inspired a lot of people and a Hollywood movie, the Olympic folks were not enamored with his story, and they worked quickly to close the loophole that Eddie had exploited. After the Calgary Games, the Olympic Committee changed the rules for qualification, saying that you had to have competed in international events and been placed in the top 30% or top 50 competitors. That rule effectively barred anybody else following the path that Eddie took to take flight on this day in 1988. Also on this day in 1988, the Daytona 500 came down to a father-son duel with Bobby Allison holding off his son Davey to take the checkered flag. But this race is known more for what happened on lap 104. Richard Petty was bumped from behind by Phil Barkdahl. His car spun and then barrel rolled eight times against the front stretch catch fence before coming to rest right side up and then he got hit again, this time by Jeff Bodine, and he spun several more times. Petty survived the horrifying crash with a broken right ankle as his only injury. This was the first Daytona 500 where restrictor plates were used in an attempt to slow the cars down, but it also created tightly packed racing that many believe led to the horrific accident. And in 1990, Michael Jordan wore number 12 for the only time in his professional basketball career. His Chicago Bulls were in Orlando to play the Magic, and before the game, someone walked into the locker room and swiped Jordan's number 23 jersey. There was apparently no spare 23 available, so Sam Vincent lent him his number 12 practice jersey, which did not have a name on the back of it. Jordan was obviously not happy about what happened, and he took out his frustration on Orlando by scoring 49 points. But the Magic won the game in overtime, 135-129. That's all for today. More tomorrow on This Day in Sports History.